What is up, my friends? Welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 20th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, and I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. This episode is brought to you by The Adventure of Fatherhood, helping men discover their powerful fatherhood role and build their fatherhood skills. The role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, find joy and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my new friend, Chris Bruno, and we have an incredible conversation around marriage, around being with those that have been placed in your care and about being the intentional man that you were designed to be and how there is hope in your journey. Enjoy meeting my friend, Chris. Okay, Chris, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super pumped. Now we talked for about 10 minutes right before we hit record. And typically when you ask somebody, how are you? People go, I'm great. And last night I was pacing outside of my daughter's volleyball game and a gentleman walked by me and he said, how are you? And I said, I'm great. And in my mind, I thought, Ned, you are a liar. And just now you asked me when we got on the show and you and I have never met before. And part of me wants to roll into this going, Hey, Chris, what's up, dude? Great to meet you. And you asked me, how are you? And I said, actually terrible. (laughs) And you were kind enough to say, well, do you want to reschedule? And I said, no. And I said, I want to connect. But we talked about it. And I said, I'm in the middle of a fight with my wife right now. Yeah, yeah. And in a fight, I just mean a conversation that has gone from last night to today. And so I asked you, hey, are you okay to still be on? I have prepared what I want to talk about. And what I love, I mean, just right out the gate, like I'm holding up your book, Sage, right here. Instead of giving me an answer, you asked me a question, which in my mind is what, you know, I'm partway through the book, but someone who sits with you asks you a question and you asked me, Ned, do you want to have a real conversation? Whether that's about me and my wife or whether that's about whatever, but the idea of two men who don't know each other, coming together and having a real authentic conversation. Yes. Let me ask you first out the gate, what has shifted for you Mm. to be able to ask questions such as that? Mm. Well, a couple of things I will start with. So first of all, I just want to acknowledge that is something that I have had to grow. Mm -hmm. I have had to work on. It's not something that 20 years ago would have been the Chris that you would have encountered. So it's a different space. For me, it is recognizing that every person that I have the privilege of engaging with is holding two things. Ned. One is a lot of pain and mm. one is a lot of glory. Mm. And if we can have conversations about those two things, then we're actually going to be able to come to the in-between of the two of us where something different happens. Where if I can engage your pain and I can engage your glory and you can do the same with me, then we're actually sitting in the space of brotherhood. Wow. So I understand pain. When you say we all have pain, everybody goes, oh yeah, totally, get it, got it. When you say glory, what is it that you mean? I mean that every one of us has written into who we are as humans, the poetry of God that he has written into (laughs) us, the fingerprint of God that he has emblazoned onto us, that it is not our glory, but it is his through us. And that is unique in you. And that is unique in me. And that is unique in every single person. And so the more that I get to sit in the places of your glory, the more that I get to spend time coming to know who he is in a totally new and different way. Bro, okay, already teary. So let me share this with you and then you can give me your feedback. So in May, I was on my way to an event and on the drive, I asked God, God, what do you want me to get out of this event? Yeah. So we have five kids and been married 19 years. He says, Ned, I want you to put your wife first. I'm like, oh, sweet. So like now I literally could go to this event and just have fun because he gave me the nugget I needed. So he said, just want you to, 
go all in on your wife. She's got to be the number one thing. I'm like, okay, cool. So then at the event, this guy shared an idea of doing something for 100 days. I decided to write my wife a love letter for 100 days. I did it every day. I missed one day. I put it in a blog. I just gave it to her two weeks ago. So it's like, uh, wow, so it's, you know, your wow. URL. And I posted a blog every day of a picture of us doing something or her and the kids. And I wrote a love letter. What I will tell you is it was cool. It was cool. I say that today. Day five, I had to call my mentor. I'm like, dude, I do not want to do this. She's pissing me off. <laughs> and he, he's like, that's your challenge, bro. God gave you that opportunity to show you that this really matters. It's not a test of you are going to fail. It's an opportunity to show you like, yeah, yeah, you're going to do this. You got what it takes. And those are going to keep coming. So it was great advice or great mentorship. Sure. Yeah. So here's what I learned because I just unpacked this with him. And I want to get your opinion on this because this is where I'm at now is what I discovered through having to write a love letter, even when I was frustrated over, you know, because we probably had frustrations, you could imagine over a 100 day period that it helped me to see her pain more. Mm -hmm. So I was even able to journal like, okay, I can see when she flares up or when she's frustrated, I could see her pain from her past. And that's what's great. That's really helped me in our argument, see her as a daughter of God, know what her childhood was like, know what it was like to not have a dad. I understand that. But here is where I am now sitting. Our last conversation was, I need to have compassion, which is I need to see her glory. That is the next step for my continued transformation for a full alignment with my spouse. The glory piece really hit me. And I just would love to hear your thoughts. That's my next little season is, and I'm sure when I say little, it's not 100 days, it's going to be, you know, 70 years. But to see someone's glory, how do you be present enough to see somebody's glory when you are frustrated, when you're, I guess, being selfish in your own feelings and emotions? Yeah. Well, great question. I want to come back to your word compassion. So to have compassion is you said it's to, you know, then see her glory. And, and the word compassion actually means compassion to suffer with. So if you are going to be seeing your wife's glory, you have to enter through the door of suffering with her, not just seeing her pain not just acknowledging her pain, not just knowing that it exists, but do you have a sense of what it feels like to be on the inside of her, to suffer with her, what that pain has been, where it has come from, how it has felt. And as you do so, I say that this is the doorway into the glory is that as you understand where the pain has come in her life and in her story, in her past, then you can also go upstream and ask the question. And so what has been the assault of evil against her? Why in that area? Because that area is going to be the high value target of where the evil is wanting to steal, kill, and destroy the glory of God written in her. And so if you can enter into her suffering, then you can also begin to recognize what was so valuable about that target, what was so valuable about that space inside of her. Okay, it's powerful. I got chills because I think what I tend to do is take that white 40-year-old male who had a great life and is watching the television commercial of the starving kids and just feel bad so I acknowledge, okay, the reason why she said that or is feeling this way is because of her story. So I feel bad. And I would have, I almost said it again. So I have compassion, but it's not really compassion that I'm feeling for her. It's more of a, of a arrogant, uh, I have something you don't have and I feel bad for you. So let me help you, which is not so, the same thing as you're talking about. What is the word for that then, Nat? Oof, I don't know. Yeah, it's pity. Oh, okay. Okay. And that, that will never connect us. It will never because the design of pity is to increase the shame of her and the distance between you and her. Mm. That is what pity is aiming for. So that's why I'm saying calm passion to actually suffer with is that acknowledgement, not of just the issue, but it is stepping into the mud into the scene, into the pain and feeling it. I mean, another word, another word for compassion is empathy, right? It is having yeah, that yeah, sense yeah. of like, I know what it feels like to be in that same space 
as you. I'm feeling with you. If I were to break it down just a little bit, withness, which is not actually a word, but withness, to be with, is actually what is the core, I believe, of the gospel. Withness, to be with us and us with God and each other with each other. That is the healing space. Anything else? Like I said, pity is seeking to bring distance, is to elevate one over the other. It's to increase the shame of the, of the less than person in order to elevate the more than person. Man, as you share that, I'm reflecting on the last hundred days and I can see two moments in particular where my heart melt and go sit next to an arm around and feel the withness, feel the closeness. Cause it's crazy. It's like there was some times where it's the closeness, the connectedness was massive, which I think when you're in a struggle with your spouse, I think it's meant to be right? I mean, I think that it's meant for me to walk away frustrated in the sense like I have to die to myself. I mean, I think that marriage is the number one thing to create unity and bring us closer to God. But I think the pity is where I've lived for seasons of my life. And it even comes up. But as you hear that now, I think what's beautiful is in those moments, I can then check in with myself is like, am I having pity because I want this to be over and whatever? Or can I be with? And here's the thing that when I'm in my best self, I go, God entrusted me enough. Like he believes I have what it takes. That's why we have each other. We have a spouse. So we're trusted that we have what it takes to do this. So thank you for the pity versus the withness. And the withness is what creates healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to just bring it also back even one layer deeper. Withness even with yourself. Do you know what is frustrated? Do you know what is being triggered inside of you? When you experience these things from her, it is something inside of her and it is something inside of you. Yeah. And that's the thing that's really good, right? I mean, because when you're in the tension of it, it's so easy to see what's wrong on the other side. Yeah. So let me ask this, because this is something that I feel like I've been thinking about with God is if I truly believe that Sarah is the other half of me, right? So like, I am not whole. I am not complete without her. I mean, right out the gate, I'll tell you, she has a wisdom I will just never have, right? I mean, she's my queen. I have to go to her about things. Not as a, I'm not another kid. I'm a man and she's a woman, but there's pieces she has I don't have. Here's why I'm bringing this up. It's easy for me to see what's wrong with myself in the sense of like, okay, I could create discipline. I'm going to do fitness. I'm going to eat this way. I'm going to read this much. I'm going to meditate, whatever. We could do that. When you have another half of you that you do not have control of, us men probably want control. And I'm sure the women want control of us too. We think in our minds it would be easier. It wouldn't. How do you, and then maybe this comes back to the pain and the glory, but how do you become one? I love the sage and it's about the man's journey and I want to get into that. But when you talk about this relationship between man and woman, which is very different, you're working on yourself, being with yourself. And then how do you do that with your spouse? Okay, I I said enough. You probably get what I mean. Yeah. So a couple thoughts in what you just said. First of all, the being with yourself, you said a moment ago that what was wrong with you. Okay. It's very easy to see what's wrong with her in the fight. You can see what's right. wrong with right. you in the fight. Right. I want to bring us back to, can you also spend some time for your own self? Not to just see what is wrong, but what hurts. What is hurting inside of you? What are you afraid of as she says things, as, as she doesn't say things, as she acts or doesn't act, as you, like what is hurting inside of you? And if you can attend to that pain and have some awareness around what's going on inside of you, then you can also like quiet some of the other narratives that get going around you, around her. She's always in it like after me. She's always whatever. Like, what if that's not actually the case? What if there's something else inside of you that's actually after you? So good. So good. Right. Because like you just said, we'll tend to put our hooks in. She always says this or in the fight or argument, you said that and we hang on to some word to try to win or try to make it about that thing. And it's pretty much never about that thing, essentially, is what you're saying. Right. Yes. I mean, my phrase is that the issue on the table is not the issue on the table. The issue that is brought up in conflict in marriage, conflict anywhere, is not actually 
it might be the inciting incident, but it's not the actual issue. The actual right. issue just is triggered it's, something, and it's triggering your story. There's something yeah. in your story that is getting triggered. And, and when I say in your story, I don't mean, you know, that you went to this high school and you went to this college and, you, you know, you have this kind of career. That's not your story. Your story is how you were shaped, how you were formed, where you were broken, where you were lost, where trauma visited your life, what has gone on. Those are the places your story is what you've come to believe, the interpretations you have about yourself, about God, others, whatever. That's your story. And so something gets triggered, her action, her word. I mean, it could be like right now I'm wearing a, a wool sweater because it's cold here in Colorado. It could be that I'm wearing a wool sweater that triggers something inside of you that I have no idea that I've participated in that trigger, but it's inside of your story. That is where I'm inviting us back to of like, can you feel your own hurt? Can you feel your own loss, doubt, fear, pain, whatever words, you know, anger, whatever anxiety, abandonment, betrayal, shame, like whatever's happening there. Can you let yourself feel those things so that she's not responsible for how you're feeling? It's actually not about her. And for her, it's not about you. It's about something else happening that the two of you have somehow collided your stories into some kind of war that is not actually on the table right now. It's something far deeper. So what would you suggest to dudes who are listening right now who find yeah. themselves in a battle or war regularly? What are some steps that you would suggest for them to move from arguments that don't get anywhere to doing the work that you're talking about? It's a big question. And I would say a long journey. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, it's a hopeless journey. But you just said a minute ago, like 70 more years, it is a long journey in the sense of it takes work, just like fitness takes work over a lot of reps over a lot of time. It's the same kind of thing, a lot of reps over a lot of time. So the first thing I would invite guys to consider is, hey, you have a story. There is something underneath the surface of your life. It's not just the external. There's something happening on the inside of you. You have a story. Secondly, it is that story that is getting triggered. And it's not about her. It's about that. Okay. She might be triggering it for whatever reason, but it's more about that story than it is about the engagement. And some of the marriage work that I do have kind of broken it down into fights often have like four different levels to them. And only the last level is actual fight. The first level is what I would just call differences. How I like chocolate ice cream, she likes vanilla ice cream. I like steak, she likes shrimp. Whatever that is, just differences. We're just different. I'm a man, she's a woman. There's differences there. There's just differences, okay? And what we need to do in that space of differences is be curious, be open, learn, have a sense of generosity. And I say generosity, like you can like your ice cream, you can like your shrimp, while I like my ice cream and I like my steak. That's totally fine. Oftentimes we want our spouses to be like carbon copies of us, exact duplicates of us versus someone who actually has differences. And I believe God's given us different people because we get to explore the glory of who mm. he is in, in other people. Okay. That's good. Differences yes. are actually a gift. Be a student of your wife, get a PhD mm. in her, go learn, explore that. all of those yeah. differences. Yeah. The next level down is disagreements disagreements come, there's more energy there. And the disagreements comes more from this, like from their story, but it has more to do with like your opinions, your perspectives. It has more feelings of ethic and morality attached to it. And maybe it's narratives that come out of your family of origin. Like I come out of a family that's a spending family versus a saving family, or I come out of a Republican family and you come out of a Democrat family or, uh, you know, like there's disagreements about the way that we conceive of the world. And in the disagreements, what's required of us is some level of negotiation. If we're going to live well together, we need to decide what kind of church we're going to go to. We need to decide what kind of parenting posture we're going to negotiate from where you are and where I am. We're going to find a third way that the two of us co-create together. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right? I dig it. Yep. Right after disagreements and probably during disagreements is what I would call the hurt line, where it's mm -hmm. no longer about what we are talking about. Now it's about how we are talking about it. I don't get hurt because you have a different parenting posture. I get hurt because as we're talking about the parenting posture, I feel demeaned. I feel dismissed. I feel 
left. I feel abandoned. I feel dishonored. Like something in the engagement now has brought me past the that hurt line. And that third level is a conflict, but it's not yet a fight. But the conflict is no longer about the issue we were talking about. The conflict is about how I feel in the conversation with you now. And that is really where we get into what I'm talking about with the idea of story. Because if I feel demeaned or diminished or dishonored or dismissed, whatever it is I'm starting to feel, stories of that in my life where I have felt that before are going to come online subconsciously, maybe consciously, but mostly subconsciously. And now I'm trying to survive my spouse rather than Mm. being in engagement with her. Yep. Yep. Okay. Because I, I, I learned how to survive being dismissed as a boy. And now I need to activate the survival techniques of dismissal again as a man. Now I'm just trying to survive her. So that's where the stories kind of get activated inside of us. If we don't take the time, if we don't step out of the conversation, let the energy kind of flow out and us to cool off and recognize we're not talking about, I mean, my example earlier was parenting postures or spending techniques. We're no longer talking about that. Now we're actually hurting each other. If we don't pause there, it will then go to that fourth level of fight. And the fight is where nothing, nothing, nothing constructive is going to come for continuing that conversation. All the weapons are out, yeah, all yeah, the shields yeah. are up, <laughs> all the like all the things are on full high alert activation. There can be no relationship happening in fight status. And so my recommendation for people is if you find yourself even heading into conflict, then you need to take 20 minutes, 20 minutes to cool off and come back in 20 minutes. And if it's still not ready, take another 20 minutes and come back. And if it still feels like that, take another 20 minutes and come back. And if you need more time than that, come back tomorrow, but no longer than 24 hours. Because by 24 hours, now the dismissal and the abandonment is confirmed. If I don't attend to it again. So I'll pause. Uh, Well, one, totally freeing, totally freeing. Dudes, pause this, write this down, and then go meet with your wife now when you're not in a negotiation or hurt or a fight and be like, hey, would this be okay if we operated from this framework? Because here's the freeing thing. Okay, one, I think we automatically in marriages, we think we're either in the first stage, which is just we're differences. That's all good. Cool. Or we're in a fight. We didn't have those other two. Now I feel a sense of freedom because I'm like, oh, we're not really in a fight. We're in like this negotiation, but we're still letting hurt come in. So if in that moment we had this framework to go from, we could pause and go, hang on. And I think this is where some guys and even women get locked up. Do this. Why do I got to say this is how I feel? And maybe, but that's the truth. That's the truth that's happening. So if you can see when you're getting to that red line and go, hang on a second, let me just say, okay, let's get back to negotiation. Let's keep it in negotiation. I think that is huge. I think that's huge. The other thing as you're talking about fight is you said the statement, no relationship can happen. And this hit me we had an argument about a month ago and we were having such a good couple week period. And I realized for the first time that what was most frustrating about having a disagreement to this level of hurt and even fight was that now I feel disconnected from you. And I was hit hard with this because I was reflecting with God. I'm like, dude, do some marriages just literally live disconnected? They're just going through the motions. It broke my heart to think that, you're right, because you hear, oh, they got divorced as soon as the kids moved out. You're telling me for 10 years, you just lived 100% disconnected? Like, it doesn't have to be that way. That saddens me. Okay, so thought for you. I okay, love this. I wonder if we as husbands, because that's the only person we have somewhat control of, spent more time in stage one and got that PhD, truly became a student of curiosity and question, if we spent more time there, instead of just making a joke like we do in our sitcoms and whatnot, would stage two become way easier to operate in? Yes. And stage three less exist? Yes, 100%. Now, they don't go away. Okay, they don't go away. But I'll come back to your word, compassion. The more that we not only understand the differences between us, 
but come to share the stories that live inside of her and the stories that live inside of you. Now we have more access in that second disagreement stage of here's not only do I understand why that you are that you are because I have a PhD in who you are. I understand your stories. It's not just this mental understanding, but I have compassion. It sinks down into like, I feel whenever you say these words or refer to these things, I know what stories you're referring to. And now I can return to be with you in the midst of those stories. And we jettison out of the present into the past to be with that younger boy and you, that younger girl and her. And we get to spend our time there bringing not just understanding, but bringing kindness and compassion into that space, which then completely shifts the conversation away, like I said, from the issue you were talking about to the withness that all of us were designed to have. So it takes it even out of the conflict zone into a place of like, oh, like I see you. And what were we talking about again? I don't even remember what we were talking about. So you made an interesting statement a minute ago. You said they won't go away. So in our pursuit of greatness, in our pursuit of total aligned marriages and whatever, are we seeking to not have those stage three and stage four? Or are you saying those will continue to happen at 60 years old, 70 years old, 80 years old or whatever, you know? And the reason why I ask is because sometimes we jump to crazy, people say crazy stuff, right? Crazy, I guess we're not going to live together. Or I I mean, this is not where we're at. But I'm just saying people jump to these crazy things because it's almost like you're expecting this shouldn't be happening, that the fight shouldn't. But I guess my question is, if we can accept that there will be times that those things happen, we could give a different meaning to them. So that's my question is, should we expect there will be fights? And if that's the case, it 40 years of marriage, 50 years of marriage. What's the meaning I could place on it now so that I can be in it in the right way? Yes. So yes, I want to say it will still happen when we're 80 years old. Okay. And, and, okay. Cool. and, and so, like, let's all take a, a deep breath of relief. Like it's still going to be happening. Yeah. And, and of course, our aim is that it will be happening less. And so if we do the work now in our marriages, in our own hearts, in our own stories, then we will, just like in fitness, if we do the reps now, we will have a healthier body. If we do the reps now, we will have a healthier marriage. It doesn't mean that you're never going to get sick or you're never going to have a struggle. It just means that you will generally have a healthier sense of well-being in your relationship, a sense of connectedness, a sense of knowing one another. Like I said, not just in the knowing of with your brain, but in the knowing of your heart, like that kind of sense. But I say it will still happen when we're 80 because the complexity of the human soul is so great. I will never be able to fully explore the vast continent that is my wife. If I see her as as large as the US and I am on two feet, I will never be able to fully explore all of the topography of her life, all of who she is, all of who God wrote her to be. I will never be able to know every single word, which just then also gives me the sense of excitement that I have 40 more years to explore and see and come to know who this person is. I want to come back to something that you said about the oneness where she completes you in in some ways. I do believe that there's actually, it is not a departure from yourself in your marriage. The blending of the two where you lose you and she loses her. And now all of a sudden there is just the we. Even in the Trinity, there is this concept of the compound unity that there is father, son, and spirit fully in relationship with each other and still uniquely distinct. And I'm holding my hands like this, you know, on the podcast, you can't really see it necessarily, but I'm holding my hands, my palms to one another in that I believe that it is, I am fully me and you are fully you, which allows us to then be in full relationship. If I lose myself into you or you into me, relationship can't happen anymore. It's not actual like connecting of two individuals. It's really Mm -hmm. important, I think, in marriage to not get enmeshed, to not be completely apart, but to be two individuals in connection. 
in relationship. Okay, I think this is super important. So I'm gonna ask you from two perspectives here. I see a lot of men become passive. So to talk to me about that, right? A guy's just finally like, he's broken. He's like, all right, cool, I'll just do whatever. So talk to that for a second. And then on another angle, if you're a guy that is fully engaged in personal development and growth. So if you're the passive guy, how do you engage? If you're the guy who's intense, let's use Ned as an example, (laughs) (laughs) making sure that you're honoring the individual of your spouse in their unique, beauty differences? Because I think a lot of guys listening to this could fall into either one of those camps, maybe. Sure. Well, I think to the guy who falls more into that passive distancing, again, my curiosity goes to how and where did you learn that there was such little value on your presence in the world? Wow. What are the narratives? What are the stories that have so convinced you that abdication is your greatest option? Wow. Because you were not designed for that. You were designed to bring the goodness, the strength, the tenderness of God to the world in your own unique way. And I can't do that. Ned can't do that. Only you can do that. And by abdicating and shifting into like just this disappearing act, we're actually losing something significant Mm. that was designed Mm. for this day at this time in this relationship and amongst these people. So I want to go back to and ask like, and so how did you come to learn that your strength, your presence, your tenderness was of no value? Mm -hmm. Where did that interpretation come from? Beautiful. And I just got to lean into an acknowledgement for you dudes that the world needs your strength. I love these two words, your strength and your tenderness. And you brought it to the glory piece. The strength and tenderness of God is going to come through you to the world. And if you're not living that out, the world is missing out. Your wife is missing out. Your kids are missing out. And you have what it takes. Like you have it, bro. And you are missing out. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Big time. (laughs) So all of us are. And, And I feel like our forefather, Adam, is the greatest example of this passive abdication that we have. And so no wonder we live in his shadow. And I think all of us men have some proclivity towards that abdication because of that. It's just too hard. It's just too hard. And so I'm not going to participate in the way that God designed me to participate. On the flip side, your question was, how do I honor my wife? Well, again, I want to ask the question, How did you come to believe that your control, your powering up is going to give you the kind of life and relief that you actually look for, you actually hope for? Yes, when we invest, when we do things, when we move towards things, when we put our energy towards something, something else results. Absolutely. And if we're leaning on, if we believe that it is our control or our power that is going to be our salvation, What happens in the day that I don't feel powerful? What happens in the day that my feet, my legs get swept out from under me and and something on the battlefield takes me out and I have to go to the infirmary? What happens then? Because the fullness of who I am is not in the fullness of my muscles or my brawn or my brain or my control. The fullness of who I am is in the resting of that in someone who is bigger and stronger and wiser and kinder than me, and that is God himself. So how have I allowed myself to become my own God? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And here's how cool God is, right? Because I am the guy who's like, if I want something, I just create enough discipline and the right habits and make it happen until that system breaks down and doesn't work. For example, but here's how cool God is. It's like, dude, we're rocking. Things are going great. And then this flare happens last night, right? This this thing. And to where my daily habits aren't the thing that are going to make this feel right again. And so this morning I wake up for my morning routine and all I can do is make my coffee and go sit outside under the stars and sit with God and be like, dude, I can't do this on my own. Yes, Like I can't do this. And then how good is he? He's like, all right, well, cool. Because I teed up for you to talk to Chris Bruno today. You know? <laughs> But I'm serious, right? Like if you're open to the moments, like I could have, as I'm frustrated 10 minutes before our call, I could have just been like, screw this, the day ain't worth it. I'm not engaging peace. Or I could have said, hey, I'm going to go be real, be open, be honest and have a beautiful 
holy connected moment with a mentor, a brother that I've never met and be able to like walk out of this with new tools and resources. Again, I want to be careful. See, I want to be careful to say, now you gave me this four-step formula. And that's what I'm learning about. This is huge right now. The difference between discipline and transformation. Like I need discipline for transformation, but discipline isn't the answer. It's the transformation that will come through the discipline. And that's why I think that also being engaged in the four steps is it's not the four steps or not. It wasn't four steps. It was four different layers of fights, understanding those, but it's understanding the story, the meaning, the need to be myself, the need for her to be herself, the need for God to be God. And that's learning. That's transformation that I'm experiencing right now on this call. And I love that you sat outside under the stars with God. And I hope that you also heard him say like, hi, welcome. Just welcome. Like be here. Yes. Your morning routine is not going to save you. It's good to see you this morning, Ed. Yeah. It's interesting. The last few months, I'll share one story with you. I can see it over the past few years, that transformation that he's not looking for me to perform, but he's looking to be with me. And the moment that it really shifted for me, and then I want to jump into a couple of questions that are outside of this, but I want to show this. The moment that it really shifted for me is I had this, I typically go on a two-day retreat with God each year. And it's like very, you know, like whatever, Ned-esque. And it wasn't working out. It wasn't working out. And finally, I heard God say, just go buy a bottle of nice whiskey and go sleep in the treehouse and let's watch a movie. And I'm like, really? That's us connecting. And that's what happened. And it was such a beautiful night. I literally slept in my treehouse, had a glass of whiskey and watched a war movie and felt like I connected to my father. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. I feel like <laughs> we make things so complicated. For when sure. Actually, I mean, back to what you just said, like God just wants to be with you. That withness, we have a gospel of withness, God with us. If we feel like our discipline is the only way to lead towards transformation, I would even venture to say that relationship is the greatest place. The witness of God is where the greatest transformation happens. Because Paul tells us it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God. And kindness only happens when we are with him, not when we're pumping out more reps. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. Yeah, that is hard. So let me ask this for dudes who struggle with how to have a relationship with somebody. I think as dudes, we like want to be doing something together. We want to be building something together. We want to be working together. How do men have relationship in a couple of uh, thoughts from you? How do you have relationship? Yeah. Well, I think that the simplest answer to that is through the sharing of your stories through the sharing of your stories. Memories are what we have in our brains. We cannot do anything with our brains and changing the memories. We can't change what happened. We can't change how we feel about what happened. But what we can change, what we can do in the context of story, in the storytelling and the story listening, is now that memory is in the in-between. Now, as you share your story, now where two or more are gathered, something can happen there. The curiosity, the kindness, the exploration, the truth, the honor of what that story is or was can now be explored. But we can't do that just in our own brains. It has to be in the in-between of two people. So men become men through other men, through the sharing of their stories. And I know you want to talk about Sage, and, and that's great. Another book that I have is called The Brotherhood Primer. And it is actually how to prime the pump of these deeper, more masculine friendships that are in the sharing of stories and guiding guys into how to have those relationships, how to have those conversations with other men. So I would just say, share your stories and not, you know, I got up and went to work today and, you know, then I came home and, but the stories that are really the more ancient stories that you feel like that's not worth telling. No, it actually is worth yeah. telling. Because the other guy needs it too. Not just to tell his, but he needs to hear yours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we come to know ourselves through other people's stories, too. I mean, you can see behind me is a wall full of books. A large number of them are fiction because I find myself in the characters that I read. And I find myself in the history characters that I read about, the Bible characters that I read about. That's the whole point. The Bible is all story form for that very reason, so that I can come to know who I am by reading about Joseph or Peter or Timothy or Moses. So I need to hear men's stories too, for me and for my own healing. 
So then I'm going to ask, sorry, this question. It's fine. So how do you have relationship with your spouse? In thinking about that relationship can be a struggle, okay? It's like, okay, I want to honor my wife. I want to honor that relationship. How do I enter into deeper relationship with her? I think a lot of men have that question and desire it. But finding that vulnerable space to dig in, especially if you've been married 10, 20 years, you've grown accustomed to how to do life together. But I think men want that deeper peace, but don't want to feel stupid in doing right. it. Well, you bring up the word stupid. I think another thing men don't want to feel is vulnerable. And those two things I really think go hand in hand for sure. But what would it be like for you to get off the podcast when we're done and to go spend 20, 30 minutes with your journal and just think through like, what am I afraid of? What got activated inside of me? What was I trying to win? Why did I try to feel like I had to win that? What was happening inside of me? And then you go back to your wife and you say, hey, I just realized that there's a part of me that is really afraid of your diminishment, your dismissal, some, yeah, whatever it is. I'm afraid of your abandonment or whatever. And it comes from, I don't even know what you guys were fighting about. Let's just say it was like, you know, spending some money that I realized that inside of me, there's some level of safety that comes knowing that that money is still in the bank account. That's something that I need to be aware of because my safety doesn't actually come from my bank account. It's not just being threatened. It's not being threatened by you. There's something else happening for me. Slow it down. Spend a little time just reflecting on what's going on that makes you so activated and then bring that vulnerably to your wife. We're not actually fighting about something here. We're feeling something here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, great. So the opportunity of the friction creates friction is an opportunity to become more deeply connected with your spouse. It creates a moment for you to share your story. What about on the day to day, the dude is looking to connect deeper with his spouse? What would be your suggestions around building deeper relationship and connection outside of there was friction? Uh-huh of a conflict. Um, I'm going to say the same thing, story. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've recently developed is something that we're calling Thrive Dates. Okay. And so these are 12 curated dates that you can sign up for free. They're just like an email in your inbox. And they come and they are dates designed, crafted with you for you to help lead you into some story sharing with your spouse. Mm, and so cool. you're not just talking about what's happening in the world, what's happening with our kids, what's yeah. happening with your mother, like those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. You're actually talking about, for example, one of the dates is what we call a play date. And why do kids get to have play dates, but adults don't? So like, go ask your spouse out on a play date and bring your favorite childhood toy and talk about it. Why was this your favorite? Where was it? play with it, get a Lego set, get a dollhouse, whatever it is, bring that to your date, play it with your spouse, sit on the floor somewhere and put the Lego set together. That's cool. Do the easy bake oven together, you know, like if that's something that she had, right. And then talk about the stories that go with it and why it was so significant for you and what was behind that. And what did you love about Legos? So sharing story doesn't have to just be in the spaces of conflict. Yes, there. And also you know, what is the story of play? What is the story of adventure for you? What is the story of food for you? Make dinner, like one of the dates also is like a culinary date. And so you make dinner of some special meal that you grew up with. It might just be Mm. mac and cheese. Yeah, yeah. But you make it together and you talk about the stories that went with that. I love it. What organization is Thrive Dates through of yours? Yeah, it's through Restory Counseling. So that's restory.life. And we have a whole section that's called Thrive Marriage Lab. It's an online cohort of people who are wanting to invest in their marriages, who are not in crisis, but they want more than just like a book. They want to invest in the enrichment of their marriage. So that's there. And the Thrive Dates are there too. Okay, love it. We'll we'll check it out. I'm going to ask a couple of questions that I would normally have asked 50 minutes ago, but here we go. (laughs) Fine, totally. Yeah. And we can just kind of blast through them and have fun with them. How old do you find yourself today? How old do I find myself? Oh my God. I feel like I have always been older than I actually am. Hmm. So there's a lot of story that I could share with you about my family of origin and upbringing for that reason. But I will probably say I feel, I feel about 55. Okay. I'm 50. So I feel about 55. Five more years of wisdom than years. years. I I love it. How many years have you been married? 28. 
28. And how many kids do you have? We've got three. We've got a 17-year-old senior in high school. We've got a 20-year-old junior in college and a 23-year-old college graduate. He's off and living his adult life. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you live in Colorado. You made mention of that. And then it's come out already, but in 30 seconds, what is it that you do for a living what is, what is the gift to the world that you give? Oh, well, so two things. They're kind of symbiotic. One is I already mentioned the Restory Counseling Center. That's here in Northern Colorado. We've got a team of people that I lead who do counseling, spiritual direction, story counseling, like I've described today, for people all over the country. So it doesn't matter where you live, you can work with us. And there's intensives that we do and group intensives and online things, all that stuff through Restory Counseling. And then the other side of my life is what's called Restoration Project. That is a nonprofit ministry that I started, and that is all aimed at helping men restore their hearts. So our vision is to see a world of restored men. And we do that in the area of fatherhood in the area of brotherhood, and in the area of sonship. Three categories, three roles that every man plays, even if he doesn't have kids or siblings or whatever. Every one of us is meant by God to bring fathering energy to the world, to be brothers to others, and to be a son of God. So those are the things that we focus on at Restoration Project. Mm, so good. With that being said, what would you, you know, as the guy listening to this, we talked a lot about marriage, what would you say the role of the father is? So you've gone through a lot of the stages of fatherhood. If we think the majority of men right now that are listening have kids ages five to 15, what would you say to those men of what their role is? I'm going to say two main categories. One is your presence, not the gifts that you bring, like presents, like Christmas presents, but your presence, like showing up presence. And the second is your words of life, your intentional words of life, your blessings. So that's where the abdication or the powering over, like that's not actually presence. Your presence is coming with all of yourself, is giving your face, is giving your attention, it is giving your intention to your children. I see you, I delight in you. And, and I even love in, in Numbers chapter six, in the blessing of Moses and Aaron, the Lord turns his face towards you and it shines upon you. It's gracious to you and peace is the result so that you may have peace. Same thing on the presence of a father. So that in combination with words of life, where the words of a father, not to the diminishment of the words of a mother, but there is something super powerful, I believe, in the words of a father. And when they are intentional, when they are meant to bring life and goodness and cultivation and, and fertilizing the hearts of our children, like something happens. I don't know. I'm sure every one of our listeners right now can say, these are the words I long to hear from my father. And here's the thing, even if you've already heard them, you still want to hear them again and again and again and again. We have an insatiable appetite for the words from our father, the words of life. What ends up happening is so we can bring our words, but then also death comes either through the absence of our words or through the violence of our words. And so the most important role that I think is show up and speak life, show up with your presence and speak life over and into your children and your wives and your friends. Like, do that. Speak <laughs> and do so with intention. I was going to ask, are the things that men should be saying? But then you said, what do you long for your dad to say? So I think for men to pause and go journal about what your dad said that meant a lot to you or what you wish he would have said, and then go and say those things. Yes. Your kids are half you. Your kids are very similar to you. Your kids need what it is that you have to give. So I think that that's beautiful. And I actually did a little exercise recently. I wrote down what I want from my parents. You know, like, what are the things I want from my parents even now? What are the things I don't want from them? And what was interesting is the couple things that I wrote down that I didn't want from them, I realized I do those very things to my own kids. Wow. That's a knife to the heart, right? Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a big, I almost said it's not a big deal. It's funny because it's like, I want to be connected, but I don't want you to ask about how I how did I rent this car and go to the airport? I feel like you're questioning the decision-making that I did. I've been an adult. I'm 40 years old. 
But then I realized I'd do the same thing to my kid who's 17. It's like, well, oh, you guys did this. How did this work out? And my question is like, am I trying to just engage in understanding your day? Or am I trying to give you feedback of how you should have done it differently? And if I do that, then they're not going to want to talk to me. So it was good. It was good. Okay, we have just a couple more minutes left. There's things that we could have touched on, beautiful things. What would be the last thing you'd want to leave with a father before I ask my final question? Yeah, I think the last thing I would want to leave is it's never too late. It's never too late to father some of the broken places inside of you. And it's also never too late to bring that to your children. So you might feel like your teenager is off the rails and you've lost their heart or something like that. It's never too late to still bring presence in words. They may choose to accept them or not, but I can sure tell you they need them and want them. So it's never too late for that. And it's also never too late for you. That's what I would say to a father. Love it. And with that, if you're going to go change the way you've been showing up and you do that, put the reps in, check your motivation. If you go start giving kind words and you're not getting this response you're expecting, the motivation is off. The intention needs to be, I'm giving this as a gift. When we truly give a gift, we're unattached to the receiver's feelings about the gift. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think most people who find themselves generous people who give gifts, it's more about the giving than it is about the receiving. I get to give this to you. Mm. The giving Mm. is the transformation for the giver, not the gifted. Mm. And something you said earlier on in our conversation, Chris, was about, we were talking about the fighting and that, yes, it's a long journey, but it's not hopeless. And I think that for men, as you're leaving this conversation to hold on to, what would you say is the opposite of that, Chris? I I mean, hope, (laughs) there's hope. But many of us, we want to take action, but it doesn't maybe happen in the 90-day transformation. And so we think it's hopeless to have an understanding that this is like a 100-year process. Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about it, Ned, is this, that God is content to work in decades and centuries. And so if he's okay with having come 2,000 years ago and we're still here and the fulfillment of time has not yet come, can we also not be the same to be content with it taking as long as it's going to take? That transformation does happen and we see new things and we get to transform, we get to become new, but an oak is not grown in a matter of 90 days. An oak is grown over the matter of decades. And if that's the kind of man that I want to be, an oak sitting by streams of water, that's the kind of man, then it's going to take a freaking long time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Last question, my friend. Legacy. The question is around legacy. If you were to peer into the homes of your children when they are, let's say, 40 years old, what is it that you want to see? unfolding in that home and it puts a smile on your face knowing I was present and I gave words of affirmation, words of life to them. Yeah. So one of my favorite phrases is this, that trauma is passed down from generation to generation until someone is brave enough to feel it. I want to be that man who was brave enough to feel what all has happened in the history of our lives and family, to feel it, to digest it, to process it, to be that kind of guy so that there is delight and freedom and all of the things that God designed for them, that they have that opportunity to do that. One of the most misunderstood phrases in, I think, the parenting world comes from Proverbs, where it talks about train up a child in the way he should go. That word train actually means awaken. Awaken within your child. The glory, the poetry, and I use the word poetry, I pull that from Ephesians. The poetry that God has written into, awaken that in them. Awaken that in them. And let them come into being who they were designed to be. And so 40 years from now, when I'm looking into my son's home, I want to see an awakened man leading an awakened family. That the legacy that I leave for the generations is the calling forth of all the goodness rather than the correcting of all the badness. Oh, my goodness. 
incredible. The word that comes into my head, which is the word of your organization, is that this is what God's inviting us into is the restoration of all things. Like yes. we are opportunity is to participate in this. If we choose to be the man, you said there's been generations of, let's say, shouts, right? My family of trauma that has happened that in one way or another is in my life. But if I choose to face that trauma and understand that the opportunity is for me to awaken my kid, it's not for me to discipline them or teach them this. It's for me to be the one to face it, to create the opportunity for my children to experience freedom and delight words that you, you use. Yes. Yes. 100%. It takes one man, one man to change a family tree. One man. And what an opportunity. Like when you're on your deathbed and you have people around you to know that you fought to that level. See, that's what's so interesting to me is we watch Saving Private Ryan and we watch, you know, Captain America (laughs) jump on the grenade and we're like, I want to be that guy. It resonates deep in our soul. But the thing that the movie doesn't tell you is that it's not a one-time event. It's a daily event for a hundred years. It's now as you leave the podcast and you go and you vulnerably jump onto the grenade of your own story that got activated in the fight last night. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Well, gentlemen, I'm willing to go do the work. I'm going to be that guy that stands in that. And I call all of us to do that. Chris, incredible. I hope we get to do this again. I know that there's so much more we could connect on. I am deeply grateful for the man that you are, that you have stood against the trauma so that you have such a gift to give us today. Mm. I aspire to be the sage, not the guy that's just full of advice and ideas, but that can be with those who are coming up behind us. I just, I thank you for your work and continue to do what you're doing. Know that the way that you're doing it, there's men being raised up behind you that are going to do the same thing with the gifts that you gave them. Mm, Awesome. Well, thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you. And thanks for being real. Mm, Thanks for asking me to be. Until next time, my friend. Okay. Take care. What an incredible conversation. Really, I loved what happened. I loved the moment of five minutes before going, I do not want to do this, to being 15 minutes into a conversation with a sage, with a man who has lived a life that he was able to pour into me and be with me and talk with me and connect with me in an area that I needed it. And my friends, I want to do the work and I want to be in it with you. And I just spent the last 20 minutes journaling like he called me to do and digging into the, what am I afraid of right now? What is it that is causing my flare up? What's my story? And the thing that I dug into is I want to do things the right way. Then it leads to this belief that there is a right way and that Ned's way is the right way, which leads to control, which leads to why do I want to control this situation? So I'm in it with you, my friends. There is work to be done. We each have work to be done. And the reason that we are choosing to step into this work is this idea that for generations, there have been things that happened. And then Ned stands here in 2023. And Ned has the opportunity to face those things head on, go to battle, go to war, fight in hope believing that there's hope that I can do a work in the space and time that I have that is going to impact my family for generations beyond me. And my friends, this leads me to us knowing who we are. If more men knew who they were, knew how to show up in their identity in their home to love, serve, guide, provide, and protect, the world would look different. Our homes would look different. The leaders of our world look different. Like you and I are building the leaders of our home. We must do this work. And this is why I launched the Adventure of Fatherhood. Please go check this out. This is like the ground level of fatherhood discovery. My hope with Adventure of Fatherhood is you come in, you come into the 30-day Discover Fatherhood. You join my 90-day 18-year roadmap course. You go through these things and you come out and, and you go find Chris's program. You go find Superhuman Fathers. You go find Rise of Kings or Front Row Dads or go build a tribe of your own. But I want thousands of men to discover who they are. And that is why I launched Adventure of Fatherhood. So if you are looking to better discover 
who you were designed to be as a father. I encourage you go to adventureoffatherhood.com forward slash courses and jump into one of the intro courses with the opportunity at the end to join my 90-day intentional fatherhood course. The next uh, 90 days starting in January, but you would have to have gone through the introductory to fatherhood or the Discover Fatherhood course, depending on where you're at as a father. So check that out if that's something that you're wanting to step more into. Fathers, thank you for the dads listening to this. Thank you that you are engaging in the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. Thank you that you are living your story. And just like Chris said, share your story. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.